How much confidence do you place on the promises and assurances of a salesperson? Aren't you often a little wary of the claims made by the people who are trying to sell you some sort of product or service? The claim sounds something like this. This vacuum will never lose suction. Whoa. Maybe they sound like, we will leave your house cleaner after tearing out the tile and replacing it than the house was before. That sounds unlikely too. Maybe the assurance sounds like, This car will last many years and it will be economical and extremely reliable, and I guarantee it. That would be nice. We would appreciate these things. We would like to believe them. It would be wonderful if they were true, but can we take the word of the used car salesman? I know I've been in situations and I've spent money at times where I wasn't totally sure that I would be happy with the results. There was definitely some hesitation in my mind wondering if I would get back uh, what I hoped, what I expected, and that's not confidence. Confidence doesn't sound like, well, I hope this car will be at least somewhat reliable. I hope the product or service that I'm buying will meet at least some of my needs. When I spend money, and I'm guessing you feel the same way, I would like to have some indication that I'm going to get my money's worth from that expense. But it's often hard to have confidence. I don't want to give a mistaken impression that we should think about the offerings that we give to God through His church in the same way exactly that we think about those other things, how we spend our money on goods and services. Not at all. See, God is not a salesperson. And the promises that God makes are not like the sales pitch or the purchase guarantee that you might get from someone. But it seems that there are times that the way that we think about those other purchases can kind of creep in and maybe cloud our thinking about the way that we spend our money in our offerings. You know, when we think about putting our hard-earned money into a collection plate. Or we think about setting up an automatic payment schedule so that money is taken from our bank account and it goes to the church's account for use as offerings. And maybe when we get to that point in the service, it just makes us feel a little uneasy. Or maybe we get that same sort of uneasy feeling when we look at our bank statements. And we wonder, am I getting my money's worth? 
What about the opportunity cost? You know, the other things that we could do with our money if it wasn't going to the church as offerings. Now, if you've been with us for the last two weeks, you've already heard all sorts of encouragement from the Apostle Paul that he first gave to the Corinthian Christians concerning a collection, an offering that they were about to take in support of people in need. For two whole chapters of this book, the book that God inspired Paul to write, the book we call 2 Corinthians, a letter to that congregation, for two whole chapters, Paul talks about their generosity. And he talks to them about their generosity in ways that are very useful for us to take to heart, to help us think about how we respond to God's goodness to us. So before us in our sermon for our consideration as our sermon text today is the very last section of this two-chapter section of 2 Corinthians where God is talking about godly giving. Listen to these verses, how Paul reminds the Corinthians that they can give with confident generosity. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 15. God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will overflow in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. And he who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing, and will increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be made rich in every way so that you may be generous in every way, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. To be sure, the administration of this service is not only making up for what is lacking among the saints, but it is also overflowing in many prayers of thanksgiving to God. By proving yourselves in this service, many people are glorifying God as they see the obedience shown in your confession of the gospel of Christ and in the generosity shown in your sharing with them and all people. At the same time, as they pray for you, they also express their longing for you because of the extraordinary measure of God's grace given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. These are certainly amazing promises from God. How extravagant does it sound when God makes promises about all things and at all times and about having all that we need? And he means every word of it. God knows how tightly at times the sinful nature clings to material possessions, even trusting in them instead of him. And so he knows how it can make us feel uncomfortable to think about being generous to him and his kingdom and wondering if our generous offerings are just going to make us poorer for it. In the verses right before these that we just read, That's where we were told how God loves a cheerful giver who gives what he's decided in his heart to give. 
And it's almost like these verses anticipate all our concerns and all of our objections. Well, how long could we keep that up? Are my offerings going to bankrupt me if I do what God says? Oh, I want to be generous. I really do, but I've got other responsibilities too. How can I do this? Well, God answers our fears by promising exactly the opposite of what we are so afraid of. He promises in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will overflow in every good work. And that's not a message that's new for God's people either. In fact, Paul takes a quotation from Psalm 112. It happens to be in the ancient Greek translation. That verse says, He scattered. He gave to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. And you might think at first glance that the he that that passage is talking about is God. And it's actually not. The he in that passage is you. The psalmist is talking about the generous Christian, responding to God's goodness by doing good works. That person, he is scattering, like scattering seeds so that it grows in other places. He is giving to those who are poor, who have particular needs. And the righteous acts of God's people they last not just for a moment or even for a lifetime, but they echo through eternity according to God's rich grace. And that rich grace is exactly what Paul has us focus on throughout this section as he discusses our godly giving. Why can we trust the promises of God in spite of our doubts and in spite of our fears and in spite of our sin? Because God stands behind His promises. Paul puts it this way, God is able to make all grace overflow to you. And he's talking about the same one who provides seed that we can sow and bread so that we have sustenance. He's talking about the creator of all things, the creator of the universe itself. And it says that he's going to multiply your seed. He's going to give you what you need to continue to sow generously. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him for you. God kept that great promise you can trust Him to keep these promises. Promises to bless your offerings and to bless every good work that comes from a heart of thankfulness and praise to Him. That's worth repeating. That's worth saying another way. So here's another way to say it. God has taken all of the times that we've been uncertain and we've doubted his word, and he's placed them on Jesus who never felt that way. He took our sinful fear and placed that on Jesus too. And what did Jesus do with it? He went to the cross and took it there where he suffered and died, facing the punishment that we deserved, not him, he gave himself up for us. 
And in a great exchange, and as a great exchange, Jesus gave us his perfect life. And credit for trusting in God completely and having full confidence on all of his promises because that's what Jesus' life was. And then, now that we live in faith, he invites us to also live like him, to live the way that he directs. And living like Jesus, God tells us, living like Jesus in every aspect of our lives, even though the focus here is specifically on how we give our offerings and how we use our money, living like Jesus has incredible results. It's not that our offerings automatically are going to make us financially wealthy. There is a real difference between having all that we need and having all that we think we want at times. But the results of our generosity are real. For the Corinthians, they could have this confidence that their offerings were going to serve the needs of people far away, their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem who were poor and had some significant needs. And that was going to inspire prayers of thanksgiving. It was going to lead to many people glorifying God. All of this was amazing. And listen again to how Paul describes it. By proving yourselves in this service, many people are glorifying God as they see the obedience shown in your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity shown in your sharing with them and all people. It's a marvelous description here of the relationship between our faith and salvation, or as Paul describes it, your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the good works that flow out of it, like our generous giving. We never want to get those things confused. And Paul talks about both, and he does so so eloquently and so clearly. It's not our work that earns salvation for us. It's the work of Jesus. It's not our generosity that saves us. It's God's generosity. What leads us to heaven is not our gifts. It's God's gift to us. But His generosity and His work and His gift inspire us to be more and more like him and these things lead us to offer our lives to serve god to love god by serving and loving the people that he puts in our lives and we can have full confidence that god will meet all our needs god will provide everything that we need so that we can continue to be generous, and that he will bless the generosity that we show. And then Paul wraps up this whole section with a verse that we're actually going to focus on in a couple of days when we meet together again right before our national holiday of Thanksgiving. Listen to this verse of thanks. Paul writes, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yes, thanks be to to God, whose generosity to us is so overwhelming that it's contagious. It makes us want to be generous as well, just as it does for other people. And God's 
generosity. Thanks be to God for carefully instructing us in our coordinated generosity that we take seriously the things that we give to him, that we think about them carefully, and that as, as a church receiving offerings from God's people, that we act in a careful way to spend them to serve the needs of his kingdom. And thanks be to God who gives us amazing promise after amazing promise to assure us that our generosity can be confidence. We cannot possibly outgive God's grace to us. So may God bless us in this to be confident and to be generous. Yes, to be godly givers. Amen.